What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Roots, Rednecks, and Radicals podcast. Today, we're going to learn something new and interesting in the world of Americana, roots, and folk music. But before we get to that, I want to say a quick reminder to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And if you're on social media, give me a follow if you haven't already. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Just search up the name of the show and you will find me there. All right. Today, I had a chance to talk with the artist Ismay. Ismay is an incredible singer-songwriter from the Bay Area, California, and uh, lives in a different part of California now, beautiful in the mountains and whatnot. But uh, Ismay has such a, a, a unique and interesting way of, of uh, crafting words and melodies and whatnot. Uh, they grew up in the in the uh, hardly strictly bluegrass uh, sort of scene. Ismay's uh, grandfather was one of the founders of that festival, and it's an incredible festival with a great, great history. So Ismay has always had exposure to amazing singers, amazing songwriters and performers and all that, and it really shows in their music. So I loved this conversation. The album sounds fantastic, and I hope you enjoy it. There you go. Fantastic. Well, you have a lot going on in the world, all kinds of different projects happening. And um, I, I just wanted to chat about kind of them one at a time. Uh, the first time I, I met up with you was out at the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko. And uh, you performed out there last year. It was fantastic. And uh, I got to uh, got to interview you. And um, you're going to be out there this, this year again. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to be out there end of January, beginning of February, back for the Elko National Cowboy Gather Poetry Gathering. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, um, I, I forget if last year was, was your first year out there. Was that the, the, your first experience there? Yeah, so I attended back around 2017, 2018. I did the open mic. And then I was asked to be part of it during the year that it was on Zoom because of the pandemic. That's right. But that was my first year performing um, in person, and it was amazing. It's a totally unique experience. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. What what were some of the things that, that stood out to you out there at that gathering? I think that it's a really different subset of performers than I'm usually exposed to because it's primarily about poetry, but also it's about poetry of the rural West, which isn't actually like the typical poetry that one encounters. And so I think the fact that you have these people coming together that it's not, these aren't the kind of people that you would see at a music festival. You wouldn't see them at Telluride, Bluegrass or whatever. So it's a really unique niche in culture to get to be exposed to and to get to be part of is really, feels really special. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my, my experience as well. And, and, uh, I, I grew up here in Nevada and I grew up here in Carson city, Northern Nevada and never went to it until I started doing my radio show and my podcast. And when I went out there, I just felt this, like, it's like a wellspring of love and passion for the rural West. And I, I love that because you just don't see it a lot. You don't see a lot of, um, art and culture, um, uh, promoting that. And there's, there's so much, kind of misinformation about the West and like sort of the, how the West was won, the Cowboys coming out and beating the Indians and all that. And, and it's just such a different vibe out there. You know, it's, it's, it's not about that at all. It's about the, 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 the culture, the poetry, the music, the songs, the, the artwork with the leather and the, and the metal work and everything. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I just think it's a cool thing. 
Absolutely. It's, it's very unique in that sense. And somebody told me once they're like, well, you know, if you're taking the, the subset of people who are rural Westerners or cowboys and you're getting the ones who are into poetry, that's already going to be <laughs> like the sensitive, unique ones, the outsiders in a way. And so it's a way to get to see into that culture and also the people that may be, yeah, the more, the more artistic side of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's cool. Well, I'll, I'll be out there again. So I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you out there. So um, you also had a new uh, stage at Hardly Strictly uh, this year, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, which has been going on in, in San Francisco for years now. Uh, your family has a connection to the founding of that, um, that that festival. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about about the stage that you did, because it looked really cool. And um, I'm excited to see it in the, in the future. Uh, but then also um, just kind of your, your connection to that festival going, you know, uh, most I mean, all of your life and whatnot. Yeah, so I, um, my grandfather Warren was the one who started Hardly Strictly Bluegrass um, when I was about eight years old. And I started attending when it was really small. It started out as just a one day event. And so I grew up going there. And when I was growing up going there, I didn't necessarily think, oh, one day I'll be a musician when I grow up. Um, I kind of saw the musicians as separate. And when my grandfather passed away about 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, um, I was, I was 19 and that experience inspired me to start playing music. I got to play music with his band. And, um, so it was kind of a launching off point for myself and my family that we all started playing music, um, you know, at the festival and outside the festival and getting to know the culture. And so with news, the new stage, um, we kind of wanted a project for my generation to get involved in with the festival. I have 11 cousins and a lot of them are artists and musicians. And so we decided, okay, a new stage is a great way to do that. And we wanted to create it in a more intimate space. And so we found this really beautiful little spot that's kind of up on a hill between the stages, surrounded by uh, trees and in this little grassy knoll and so we decided to name it horseshoe hill my grandfather had a, a little ranch in bolinas that was on a road called horseshoe hill so that's what it's named after and additionally beyond just creating a new space for the stage we wanted to present programming that was a little more out of the box we wanted something that could include like spoken word could include book readings could include um a little bit of puppetry and so we worked on it for a couple of years and then it started this past year, 2023, and it was really great. And another thing we were excited about, and my mom spent a lot of time working on this, was to create a kind of new kind of a stage. So we took an old flatbed trailer and built a shelter on top of it, and it's modeled after the home of Hazel Dickens slash Dolly Parton, their childhood homes, kind of as a nod to the the background that some of the people who influenced modern bluegrass country music where they came from. So we made it look like an old living room from the 1930s. Hmm. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, and that's such a great idea, too, of of incorporating some of that that kind of coffee house um, uh, feel to things because it's such a huge festival and, and um, you know, I mean, tens of thousands of people uh, attend. Um, I, th I think that's a fantastic idea of kind of uh, uh, calming it down a little bit and bringing it in a little more intimate and, and close and um, and incorporating uh, poetry and whatnot. I think that's that's a great idea. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what I've learned being a performer and putting on events myself for many years is the setting is so important to the type of performance. And it felt to us like if we wanted to have these more intimate types of performances like reading poetry or like speaking and playing music, you know, in the same set talking about for example, Layla McCullough was talking about the background of the music that she plays. That just requires to have a certain type of stage and a certain type of height and a certain type of surroundings. And it's just so, setting is so important for how music or any kind of art ends up being conveyed to an audience. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. That's great. Well, you also have a uh, another music festival that you got going this summer out in uh, Markleyville, California, which is pretty close to me. And uh, didn't have a chance to, to. I was on vacation at the time. I was I was kind of bummed to see that, but I would love to hear how that went and, um, and and if you plan on keep doing that. Yeah. So we started this festival, Woolly Star, which is a it's a fairly small festival, up to three hundred people. That's um, in Alpine County, which is the smallest county in California under 2000 people in the whole county. And we've done it for two years. We're doing it again this coming year. And I think the the motivating factor behind doing that festival was, you know, I'm always game to try to create more wonderful events out there because there's so many great artists that need some place to present their work. Um, and then also I personally, actually don't love attending big music festivals. I really don't like being treated like a sheep, ironically, <laughs> because I have sheep. But anyways, I don't like being treated by, like a sheep at a festival where you're being carted around and you're being kind of seen as, you know, as dollar sign that's not really a participant. And so I wanted to create an event in a place that felt like there was, you know, space to create something like that, where it feels like if you're coming to be part of it, you're everybody's an equal part of the event. Um, it's not going to be crowded. It's not going to be you're not going to be pushed around. You're going to feel like you can have some degree of peacefulness in that context. And that's the other thing that Alpine County provides, too, is it's, you know, it's like only one person for every square mile. So there's a lot of peacefulness to be had there. And, you know, it's it's a, just a, an opportunity for people to get out and check out this part of the world. Um, we don't have a lot of visitors in Alpine County generally, relatively, you know, compared to a lot of other places. And it's an incredible area. So it's just great to have people out there. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. That 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 region of the world. Um, I, I like to spend a lot of time in, in Hope Valley. I don't know if you, if you go up there very much. But yeah, it's yeah. I love Hope Valley. It's so beautiful. And and there's just, you know, if you're willing to get off the you know, 10 feet off of the road. I mean, you can go for miles and miles and have so much space to yourself and so much access to the outdoors there. It's really a special place. Yeah, absolutely. And it's crazy to me how to see how much um, uh, Lake Tahoe, just the surrounding area of Lake Tahoe has blown up as far mm -hmm. as, you know, when I was a kid going up to Lake Tahoe, it was really easy. We go to Sand Harbor all the time and uh, you, you didn't have to worry about parking or anything. And now, it's insane. The cars along the roads, we just had a lot of growth in this area, but Hope Valley as the crow flies is just a little South of that. And there's no one it's wide open. And I love that. Um, I, I, maybe we shouldn't be talking about it because then people will start <laughs> <laughs> kind of ruin it. To be fair, though, I mean, 
getting people out to places like Monitor Pass or Hope Valley, if it can take a little pressure off of Tahoe, people should do it. I mean, I think, you know, we don't want it to get too crowded out there, but Markleyville and some of the surrounding towns that are a little farther away from the the lake can always use the support of tourists who want to come out and spend some time. And on the bright side of that too, if you're coming out there, you can have a little more space to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's always on the, 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 the a family trip for us is going to Markleyville and just take a drive out there, you know, do a little hike in, uh, you know, get something to eat or whatever, and then head back home. It's, it's beautiful. That's yeah. Cool. Hit the hot springs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, this new record is, is coming out this January, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the songwriting uh, for the record. There's a lot of uh, uh, fingerstyle guitar, a lot of very um, sort of like sparse um, arrangements, and um, and it's really beautiful. And I was just wondering if you could tell us um, kind of where you're coming from as far as like the songwriting angle goes. Yeah, for Desert Pavement, when I was writing the songs, I was making a transition from the last record I had made that was Songs of Snow Mountain, and I was ready to do songwriting in a more rhythmic way. In the past, um, I kind of wrote songs and played songs that were almost a type of rhythm that would, you know, speed up and slow down, almost like classical music. And I kind of wanted to challenge myself to do something different. For me, I when I do songwriting, it's really important that I don't do a type of song. Oh, you're supposed to do this kind of song, or I want to make a song that sounds like this person. And so I was listening to Bonnie Light Horseman's record, and then also Mandolin Orange slash Watch House, their records. And I felt like, oh, now that I can hear this, I can see how I can write folk music that's rhythmic, that still feels like it's me and still feels like a unique take on folk music. Folk music is so challenging because there's so many, so much amazing stuff out there. And a lot of times we're trying to, as folk musicians, bring, you know, almost like this history of cultures into the modern day and make it feel like it's still happening. But we have to do it in a way that doesn't feel like we're copying and just read, just, you know, copy and paste what already exists. And so I feel like for this record, I was finally able to bring my own approach to a type of folk music songwriting that feels like unique to me. So that really felt like where the songwriting came from. And one of the big things that I was inspired to actually start writing the songs was I was looking up Bonnie Light Horseman and how they did songwriting. And it said something about how they were sort of reimagining songs that already existed. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, cause I heard these amazing songs that they had, they had written, but I, I couldn't place the melodies. And after doing some research, what I realized was they were taking lyrics from older folk songs and just kind of coming up with entirely new melodies and rhythms and chords, which I thought was really fascinating idea. And so I decided to try the same thing. And that's what kind of launched the song writing for the record uh, with the song, the Shear and the Darby Ram, which is the first song on the record. I took an old folk song from England. That's uh, the story of the Darby Ram, which is the story of this giant ram that shows up into town and its horns are so big that it knocks the sun out of the sky and the feet are so large. It covers an acre of land. And so I decided to reimagine that song with similar lyrics, but, um, you know, it, an entirely new story told from the perspective of the Sheer, who shared the Darby Ram, and then with my own melody. And 
So I I wrote that song and then I wrote some other songs and I actually performed them when we did the pandemic version of the online cowboy poetry gathering. And that's really how it all got started. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much <laughs> summarizes it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. When I was listening to it, I was thinking about um, uh, Willie Carlisle, who came through uh, Reno recently, and I got to, to interview him and uh, just the um, the imaginative um, uh, stylings that uh, that he does. And, and I, I, I think that music in general is in a place right now where people are are um, uh, in a pretty expansive mode, like Andre 3000 just put out that album with the, the flutes and everything. And, um, it's very atmospheric and I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, um, I think of like, a like Mitski and, um, and artists like that, uh, maybe Phoebe Bridgers. Um, there's just so many, um, like different, like things that are happening. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I love it. I think music is in a really cool place right now. People are being very imaginative. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think you're right. I think we're a little bit overwhelmed with being overexposed to t a lot of stuff um, and having access to so much music and so much, you know, so many videos that it's uh, what you're describing sounds like a really cool reaction to that, which is instead of, you know, withdrawing into our silos, people are embracing open mindedness and new ways of approaching these types of music. And that's a really exciting place to be. I, you know, folk music is folk Americana music is challenging because you're trying to stay within the bounds of a reference point that feels like you're, I don't know, not being true to something, but you're trying to make sure that you're giving people the same feeling. Like if they hear a record, you know, big Bill Brunsy or something like that, this, that is incredible feeling that they get you're trying to see like can i can i make people feel that way and to me that's that's more of the challenge is it's not so much about being exacting to what those music sound like or trying to sound as if they you know you are from <laughs> that time um but trying to get to that spirit that those people capture but it's not it's not easy to do mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's cool. Well, the album was produced by um, Andrew from Watch House, which was uh, formerly Mandolin Orange. And I was wondering if you could tell us about the connection there and uh, how that came to be and then what it was like to uh, to work with him. I met Andrew uh, when the band was called Mandolin Orange, probably around 2018. Um, when I was just starting to play music, he uh, they played uh, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass and we met at a party and I met Andrew and Emily and um, over the years, I got to know them a little bit better. I opened a couple shows for them um, in the Bay Area. And there was just one time backstage when I was opening a show, I think it was at Terrapin Crossroads, which is in San Rafael. That doesn't exist anymore. But anyways, um, and Andrew was like, oh, you should come, you know, to North Carolina sometime. I do recording. And I was like, interesting. And so when I was making my record, desert pavement before you know i had started actually recording it i had just thought back to that time that andrew had said that and i thought i wonder what it would be like to work with someone who i feel like has different sounding music i feel that you know especially back then i didn't feel that his music my music sounded super similar um i think he comes from an even more traditional like bluegrass background than i do and their music is 
very subtle and unique. And I was just curious, like, what's going to happen if I work with this person whose recordings up to that point were relatively simple and straightforward, but also really great. Um, And so I, you know, asked him to do it and he was really excited about it. And little did I know around the same time that I had asked him to produce my record, they had changed the band name. They were changing to Watch House. They were making a new record that was more experimental. And so we were on more parallel paths than I had even thought. And so I went out to North Carolina for a week to, uh, it's called Echo Mountain Studios with Andrew. And we recorded 13 songs in five days, which is a lot for me. Um, But that experience was really unique. I think Andrew has a lot of strengths as a producer in the sense that he doesn't focus on perfect. He's more driven by feel and the excitement of, you know, a live take and something new. Um, And he also had a lot of really unique ideas. One of the most unique things that he contributed to the record was this backing vocals that went through a Leslie and For those of you that have made records, a lot of times people will be like, okay, I want backing vocals, so I'll record them, you know, without any effects, and then we'll put the Leslie on later. Or we'll record them 17 times to make sure we have the exact right pitch. Or we'll record all three voices separately. But instead, what he did as a producer was all three of us recorded at the same time. He sent it through the Leslie and only recorded the sound after the Leslie. So it wasn't like we had a backup. And that was really fascinating for me to see as an artist was somebody who was really committed to what they were doing and not obsessed with like making it absolutely perfect. And the same goes true for the rest of the recording. I mean, the vocals were almost entirely, they were all live vocals. We didn't overdub them. You know, the only instruments that we layered on later were ones that we, the four of us couldn't play at the exact time that it was happening. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. It's a little risky, you know, like, and I think it adds a little like something to it. Maybe uh, you get a better performance if you know, you know, like it, it's not like you can't record it again, but like, you know, it just it, it, it have a little more skin in the game. And, and I think that probably like changes the, 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 the feel of the take. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It is a little bit more risky, but it makes you feel more engaged and you don't lose the juice of the excitement of the moment because you're not obsessed with, OK, but make this pitch a little bit slightly different. And it's not that there can't be music. I mean, I saw like a video of Billie Eilish who was making that. Um, is it called Bad Guy, that song? And it was a video about her making that song. And it was interesting. They did they record it until it was perfect. So it's not that you have to do it the way we did it. But I just think that it was com- a, a compelling way to do it, especially with roots and folk music. And especially given that these days you can do so many uh, takes on something that there is something different that's going to come across if you're committed to being more risky and doing it live and being okay with the imperfections of that. Yeah, that's cool. And Leslie's are such man; they're such a weird instrument. I don't, I don't know what you call it. Like it, um, effect, I guess. It's, I don't know if people don't know what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a speaker inside a box that that swirls around and creates this, um, this really weird kind of swirly sound. And um, they're really cool. I was, I was um, at backstage with uh, TK and the Holy Holy Know Nothings at uh, Winter Wondergrass, and their guitar player, no, their bass player, um, works on those up in Portland. And uh, he was kind of like showing me. He had an old one up there, and it was kind of showing me to it. And just the, the mechanic of this the speaker going around in a circle is so weird and, and cool and vibey um i love those things they're amazing yeah they're kind of unique 
in music production because they are this ent- entity that has to be so large. Whereas almost everything we have nowadays is tiny and little, you know, digital things. Mm. Um, it is kind of an instrument unto itself and it creates, it does create a really unique special sound, especially on vocals. It's really interesting. It's very unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, I wanted to talk about a couple of the songs off the album. And the first one that you came out with, uh, Western AF, um, there's a, a video out on, on YouTube and whatnot for Golden Palomino. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us about that song and then also what it was like working with those guys from uh, Western AF because they're doing some some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that song is based on a story that I told um, th- that I tell at my shows And it's basically the story of when I was going down to feed two horses and two cows that were in a pasture and I put down, spread the hay down on the ground. And this was back when I was living at my, my family's ranch by myself. And when I looked up, there was one of the cows that was running right at me, like chasing me. And so I had to decide, was I going to go to the gate? Was I going to go to the fence? And the fence was just a really old fence with barbed wire and was slumping. And I just had to decide. And so I decided to go for the fence. And then all of a sudden I saw one of the horses came between the cow and me and, and chased the cow away from me all entirely on his own. Um, and so that story was just really an amazing experience with animals. And I wrote a song about it, the golden Palomino, the horse that saved me was a Palomino. His name is Boogie. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had been in touch with the Western AF people for a little while. Um, my friend Jade Brody had done a great video for them and she lives in Winnemucca. She's, uh, we've hung out a little bit and she's really cool. And, um, I had found out about them, I think through her. And so they came to my, to my family's ranch and I played the song. It was, it was challenging to choose which song to do from the record because, it's a big opportunity to get to be on their, you know, their channel and whatnot. And I wanted a song that felt like it captured my songwriting style, but still was sort of in that vein that they love to present. They've got a lot of wonderful people that are, you know, from the cowboy culture and whatnot. And it was exciting to get to feel like I'm a part of that. I think a couple of years ago when I was starting to play music back when I was doing the open mic at the cowboy poetry gathering, you know, I really wanted to feel like I was part of like the rural Western culture, ranching culture, all that stuff. But I felt like, Oh, I'll never be accepted and I'm not accepted and I'm not good enough and not authentic or whatever. Um, so getting to be at the po- cowboy poetry gathering and on the Western AF getting to be part of their videos really felt like, wow, like people actually see me as part of this and that, that felt really good. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Well, I also wanted to chat and, and you talked about you brought this one up earlier, um, the, the the song, The Shearer and the Darby Ram. Um, and I was wondering if you could just um, uh, you talked a little bit about the history. But yeah, to maybe talk about that one in your reinterpretation and whatnot of, of, of that song. Yeah. So the Darby Ram originally is a folk song from England about a giant ram that comes into town. And as I said, I was, uh, you know, trying to find folk songs to reimagine. And actually, when I was doing the Cowboy Poetry Gathering, they had kind of asked for a theme. And I said, well, should I do horse theme, wild horses? Should I do sheep? And they said sheep is better <laughs> than horses. So I decided to do sheep theme songs. And it was really difficult because most sheep songs are just songs about Jesus because it's like the shepherd is Jesus. And <laughs> I wasn't trying to do that. So 
I had to really write my own song in order to cover the sheep territory. And it's also, you know, it's not as in considered as cool to be a shepherd as to be like a cowboy. So, you know, you've got to bridge that gap. But I decided to write a song based on that Derby Ram English folk tale. And I decided to write it from the perspective of the shearer who had to cut the wool. So basically in the song, the story is about a shearer who gets called to town to shear this giant ram that shows up. And they are you know, tasked with doing, cutting the wool. And, and it's sort of a miracle because their family isn't doing very well. But once they go down and cut the wool, there's so many bags of it that their family ends up much better off. So it's sort of a imagined folk tale. And the other part of the story that I like to tell is that it took so long to shear the Darby Ram that by the time they were done, the wool had already grown back. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that you, you bring that up. They um that there's like a, a weird kind of hierarchy in 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 like um uh, rural culture like cowboys and then sheep herders. Um, there's a lot of Basque um in 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 this this area where I live and and uh, hearing the stories, you, you always got this sense that the Basque uh, sheep herders were like a, a notch or two below like the the cowboys, you know. So I, I didn't really thought about that, but that is kind of interesting that you you say that. Yeah, it's interesting. I it's interesting to think about where that comes from and what that means. Um, I mean, maybe a lot of it is rooted in the fact that sheep are just smaller. So, like, in order to be managing sheep, you don't have to be as tough. <laughs> is the idea? But then there's that amazing Basque culture, you know, of these people going out with the sheep and and you know grazing them in the you know far stretches of the remote areas of the West. It's, I'm just really drawn to that culture. And honestly, when I was, you know, working on my family's ranch, I found working with sheep a lot more rewarding on a lot of levels, had a lot more personal relationship with the animals. And I felt like I could manage them more effectively. Um, and it's just incredible the different histories and folk cultures around the types of wool and the types of sheep, like the Navajo churro or like the baby dolls, which are the other type that we bred that are um, really a, a small breed. There's just endless, fascinating crafts around the wool and the sheep and mm -hmm. that close relationship people have. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, um, you like to stay busy and you got a lot of projects all the time. But uh, what, what's coming up um, uh, for you in this next year? The, the album's coming out. Um, it, it, well, it, when this publishes, it'll, it'll be out um, in, in, in January. Uh, but uh, beginning of next year into the spring of 2024, what, what do you got coming up? Yeah, so I'm going to be out on the road promoting the record. We're going to be playing in California. We're going to be playing at the Folk Alliance Conference. Um, we're going to be out, you know, just doing shows um as much as we can um mostly with the full band which is what i absolutely love doing the most and you know i've got some other projects i've been working on this documentary about lucinda williams that's um probably gonna you know be screening around the same time as well so lots of exciting things things i've been working on for years um and i'm mostly excited to just be out playing live shows with my band yeah 
That's cool. All right. Well, if people want to find uh, more out of find find you online, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, find you online and whatnot. What's the best place to look for you? Yeah, I mean, I use Instagram a fair bit. It's May Music, and then I have got my website, ismaymusic.com. And um, you know, I'm hoping to to be sharing more videos and whatnot online of live performances and all that as much as I can. But you know. If you check ismaymusic.com, I love for people to come out and watch shows. That's probably the best way to experience it, um, to experience music in my experience. So come on out and do that. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, the new album sounds fantastic. And uh, I wish you the best of luck out there with everything. And uh, thanks for, for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder to follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to this. Leave a rating and tell a friend. Also, big thanks to Charlie Marks for providing the music for the show. Until next time, everybody. Have a good one.